You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Conference Room and outside of it as well. This is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Glad to have you along for another episode. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined by Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell. And guys, we spent the last bunch of weeks obviously breaking down the Colts offseason. There was a whole lot to digest when uh, things went south toward the end of the year. And then that led us right into free agency and the draft. And so, understandably, we haven't really had enough time to talk about other teams in the AFC South. So we're going to do a whole lot of that today. We'll talk free agency and draft for the other teams in the Colts division. We'll go team by team. Titans, Jaguars, Texans. See which teams got better. How did they maybe get worse in certain areas? And also, we'll give our predictions on how the AFC South shakes out in 2022. And uh, by the way, guys, if you seek your uh certain uh uh what's the word if you uh, seek to place money on which team will uh be on top of the afc south when the season is over the colts right now are the betting favorites even though they haven't won the division since 2014 so chap uh, people in vegas at least see the colts as perhaps a team to to look out for at the end of the next season yeah and keep in mind vegas doesn't care they don't have a horse. They don't have a horse in the race. They just, uh, it, it's amazing. Sometimes we make fun of odds and all this, but they're pretty doggone close on what they do. So, and I think, I think Tennessee entered the off season as, as pretty the solid favorite and things sort of swinged on the Matt, the Matt Ryan trade. So it, it's interesting how that's happened. And I could argue that same things that have happened since Matt Ryan should make the Colts even a stronger favorite. And I'm sure we will spend plenty of time doing that over the next hour or so. Uh, let's start with the news around the NFL and specifically focusing on the Colts from the last week. There are a couple news uh, newsworthy elements, and we'll start with the signing of offensive tackle Dennis Kelly. 32 years old, Purdue Boilermaker, has 51 career starts in the NFL, had four last year for the Green Bay Packers, but he did also spend his free- previous five seasons with the Tennessee Titans. Um, Joe, we've been talking about offensive line depth a whole lot this offseason, and uh, Kelly's definitely an exterior guy, so not really on, on the interior depth as we have focused on from time to time, but uh, he, he gives you someone that is certainly a proven swing tackle in the NFL and with even legitimate right tackle starting ability, I think, for many teams, or at least a, a good portion of teams. So when the, when the Colts bring in Kelly, they bring in a guy that they can rely upon if uh, if the starting group of uh, Braden Smith and right now it looks like Matt Pryor uh, doesn't pan out. Yeah, I'm a fan of this signing. I, I believe the Colts tried out or at least took a look at Kelly last offseason and um, he ended up going to Green Bay, but it just gives Indianapolis more options um, with their offensive line because Pryor showed last season that he can kick inside and play some guard. Um, so if need be, maybe they put Pryor at guard, Kelly at tackle, um, maybe they can leave prior at left tackle, Kelly at right tackle. It just gives them more options on how they can kind of shift the offensive line if need be should injury strike. 
Chap, you can't have good depth and starting depth everywhere on your team. You're just limited with what the uh, salary cap allows, with what the roster space allows. But uh, if we've learned something from Chris Ballard from his five seasons, now going on six with the Colts, he's going to want to have more depth. And it's something that he told us uh, earlier in a couple years that he didn't do it well enough. He needs depth on the offensive line, and this is exactly what he's doing with this signing. Yeah, and I've seen people kind of dismiss this as, and so they just signed another you know, discarded offensive lineman. Well, that's, that's what you're getting right now. So I'd much rather have a discarded veteran with, what is it, 50-some starts as opposed to a, a first- or second-year guy who has done, you know, nothing. Uh, the only thing that I will remind I'm – I'm with Joe. I like the signing. It gives them a chance to have depth at that position. Worst case, worst case, he's your veteran swing tackle. And, you know – if you think of best-case scenarios, I think, for the Colts, Raymond wins the starting left tackle, and, and, and then and then Pryor goes to right, to right guard. That, that would be a nice offensive line with Kelly as your swing guy and Pinner as, as your swing guy inside. The only thing I'll remind people, when you bring in veteran linemen, you're not always sure what you're getting. Keep in mind that last year they signed – Sam Tevy with 40-some starts and Julian Davenport with 40-some starts, and neither one worked out. Tevy with the injury and Davenport because he wasn't good enough. So, But I'd, st- I'd, I'd take a veteran guy that's, that's played, has started extensively over the unknown. So th- this, this is only a good signing. It's, it's all, the only way you can look at it. The Colts have also parted with four separate players, a couple of tight ends, and Eli Wolf and Farad Green waived. And offensive tackle Sean Coleman and linebacker Malik Jefferson were both released over the past week. Uh, also across the NFL, the Giants have released cornerback James Bradbury. And among the teams that are interested, according to a couple different reporters out there, are the Colts. Bradbury will turn 29 in August. He made the Pro Bowl a couple years ago in 2020. Had four interceptions last season, which was a career high. Has 35 pass breakups over the past two seasons. Uh Chap, we've talked about uh, the corners throughout this offseason just because it's been an, uh, an issue that has continually cropped up, and you figure you have your number one there with uh, Stephon Gilmore, also brought in Brandon Faison to be a starting cornerback. You have Kenny Moore already locked in there as the slot. Is there, is there any space for, for Bradbury, a guy right now that the, the, the Giants just cut and that you think might might have some type of role or do you think the Colts are set there when it comes to the starting unit and then they wouldn't be, want to, I guess, di- dump the money into Bradbury that he'll probably get from someone as a starting cornerback? Well, you can always have, find room for a, for a good player. This guy's a good player, four interceptions last year. So sure, I, I wouldn't mind having him here, but I, I only if, if you address, you know, wide receiver, in in yeah that that's the one wide receiver give me a wide receiver and then and then if you want to add Bradbury fine but I, the, the question is what's he asking for what's he want to play for right now generally the the guys you sign right now are are not getting good contracts the money's gone and people are pretty well set if they can get him on the cheap sure but I just don't think you're going to get Bradbury on the cheap. Yeah, Joe Bradbury is a guy that, like like we've just said, has some good starting experience, has some Pro Bowl experience recently. I don't think he'd come that cheap. And uh, but but as Mike points out, maybe the market's not that hot because 
a lot of teams have spent their money already, so it's at least something that uh, Chris Bauer might look into. Yeah, I saw a report from Ian Rappaport that the Giants actually had several legitimate trade offers on the table when they were shopping Bradbury, but none of it came together because Bradbury and the team trying to acquire him could not come together on a new contract. Um, so the Giants end up having to eat some dead money, save about $10 million and cutting him. And then uh, normally I would say this doesn't seem like a move the Colts would make, but they've kind of gone all in this offseason. That's been the theme all in. throughout the offseason, all in ever since the Jaguars lost. And Mike, who needs wide receivers when you keep the other team under 10 points every game? Am I right? Yeah, if this, if this team starts winning 17-14, to 14, I'm on board with you. But uh, again, it would be – again, everything would be so out of character. They've already sunk a pretty good contract into the position with Gilmore. And, and, and that's out of character at itself. I would be surprised. You know, I, I, it'd be great to have him here. Again, corner is still something where there's a lot of question mark. You know, we're all really excited, I guess, about Isaiah Rogers, but I think he started one game. So, you know, but uh, I, I just, it'd be great to have him. I just don't know how serious the interest would be if the, if the cost is more than just a, Three million dollar yeah, deal. The Colts are currently uh, in the top half of the league in cap space right now. They have about twelve, thirteen million dollars, uh, according to OverTheCap.com. Uh, but uh, certainly, there's a there's a slew of teams ahead of them as well. The Giants are technically one of those teams who are ahead of them actually, who uh, who just cut Bradbury. So uh, anyway, that's just uh, neither here nor there. But uh, next piece of news: uh, Tom Brady uh, will become a Fox Sports NFL analyst and their lead analyst, in fact. Once he retires for a reported contract of 10 years and about $370 million or something like that, already, chap, hasn't even stood in one booth, hasn't uh, called one play, hasn't analyzed one drive on TV. And boy, they are, Fox is really going all in on Tom Brady. And Colts fans, if you were hoping that uh, he would just fade into the sunset like Andrew Luck and never be heard from again, well, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's kind of like jumping out of a plane. You've got a golden parachute, but you're still flying along. So good for him. It'd be really interesting how he transitions to the booth. Everybody wants to get the next Tony Romo, and Romo is just great at it. And there's really polarizing with the Troy Aikman, but where does a – a Brady Howe, you know, would would Peyton Manning be really, really good in the booth? Probably, but only if you're, you know, it, you know, interested and in, in willing to put yourself out there and criticize people. So, Fox again, Fox is is more than willing to invest, and those are big bucks. I mean, this is a guy that's telling you about a football game. I just, you know, it's it's crazy. I I don't know that I've ever not watched a game because of the announcers. Although some of the Monday night crews just really wore me down. But it's amazing that the arm, we talked about the arms race at quarterback and wide receiver. What about announcers? It's crazy where this money is. I mean, Joe, he's going to get paid more to be an announcer than he ever has in any season to be a quarterback in the NFL. It's going to be $30 million a year plus. Yeah, good for this guy. You know, he's yeah. been down on his luck his whole career. I'm glad yeah. things are finally working out for him. He just won't go away. He won't go away. 
I've dealt with him my entire life. He's been the roadblock that kept the Colts out of so many Super Bowls. And now I have to deal with him uh, trying to watch games when he's, I mean, he's probably going to keep playing until he's 50. I'm going to be in my 60s by the time I finally ha- get to stop watching Tom Brady on Sundays. All right, I'm sure that he'll he'll find a role just until uh, until you <laughs> kick the bucket, Joe, one day. He's going to stay alive just long enough so you don't have to live a day without him in your life. He'll probably outlive me, all the <laughs> dietary things he's doing. I'm out here eating cheeseburgers. He's got avocado ice cream. The NFL sca- – go, go. Is it, fair to, is it fair to say this is not a team-friendly deal? Right. This isn't a deal that's, that, that's friendly to Fox. It's just kind of – you're going to pay me what to talk about what I love to do anyway? Like, okay, wow. I'll take that. The NFL schedule is going to be announced next week, Thursday, 8 p.m., live on NFL Network. We'll, of course, get into that uh, a little bit more at, at some point in the future on the po- uh, on this podcast. And I did see, actually, there is a Twitter account that's like NFL schedule leaks or something. It revealed that the Colts-Eagles game next year is going to be week 6 at 1 p.m., broadcast on Fox. So I don't know how they're getting their information, what, where it's exactly coming from. But uh, anyway, it, it, it seems to be a legitimate one. But anyway, uh, that, that's at least one, one that we know of. Chap. It, it, it's, it's the greatest example of the, how the NFL markets itself. I mean, it, 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 they've turned it into an event to where what they've, quote, leaked games already that, that have been, you know, whether it's going to be a Monday night game or a Sunday night game. And to have a show that they're telling we know who they're going to play. We used to know the dates, but the NFL has turned this into a mega event to where, you know, all you're finding out is when you're going to play them. And, and they've made an event about it and we all lather up over it. And so good for the NFL. All right, guys, over under one and a half home primetime games for the Colts this year. Oh, under, under, under. I follow history. <laughs> history would tell you it's under, that's for sure. We'll see. The Colts are an exciting team who've made some noise this offseason. Yeah, they, they seem to do that every offseason, though, and it's just the same dang thing over and over again. A couple uh, takeaways from uh, what the Colts players said to the media this week on Wednesday. Chap, we spoke with Matt Pryor at left tackle. We spoke with Syracuse's own Zaire Franklin, linebacker, also linebacker Bobby Okereke, and we spoke with running back um, Jonathan Taylor as well. Uh, out of Colts headquarters this week. Out of all those, probably the most newsworthy one is Matt Pryor, given the fact that he's slated to be the starting left tackle right now. Uh, so what were your takeaways from our discussion with Matt Pryor this week? He kind of understands this is his chance to kind of step up and and not be, he said he's been that Swiss Army knife coming out and he says, that's fine, but you want, you know, it's ideally you want to be in a position that you can grow. And he knows that if he can, play well, secure left tackle, that that's, you know, it, it's going to, in the back of his mind, lead to a big payday. I think he signed, was it one year, $5 million, four and a half, five million. Because uh, I said, well, you know, the league is all about the more you can do, the better. And he said, well, from his experience, the more you can do, the less you get paid. So he, he would really like to secure left tackle. And, again, that's going to be the one thing, I think, the one position that's going to be interesting is how much, do they really believe in him and how much are they going to give Bernard Raymond a chance to, to earn that position as a rookie? It's a, it, it, that's a, it's a funny way of putting it. The more you can do, the less you get paid. Like the, the more you can do, the more likely you are to, to land a spot. You know, you can find some space on a roster just because of the versatility, but, but, but he's completely right. And the fact that like, if you kind of, 
gets slotted into that backup swing role. You go in here and there. You're not focused on one specific position. You're going to make a mistake or two, so it makes them it, it easier for coaches or whoever to or general managers to move on for, from you. It makes it easier for coaches to bench you when the starter comes back. So, um, so yeah, this you're you're right, chap. And, and Joe, this is his chance with uh, the the door wide open at left tackle. It's Matt Pryor, and it's a rookie from Austria who has little football experience. If he wins the job, Bernard Raymond, kudos to him. But right now, it's Matt, Matt Pryor's to lose. I, I would expect that Matt Pryor probably wins the job going into the season, and then we'll see how he plays. I mean. I'm excited about Bernard Raymond. I think he has high upside, but let's remember he was a 77th overall pick. He was a third round guy. This is not a first or second round pick we're talking about. So his um, uh, readiness immediately might not be there. Um, And Matt Pryor, one year deal. If he plays really well this season, you know, there's a lot of teams in the NFL looking for a franchise left tackle or even a serviceable left tackle. If he plays good, at left tackle for the Colts this year and the Colts have success, he's going to get paid either by the Colts or by somebody else. But he, you know, that five and a half million dollar contract he has might net right now might double next season. Yeah. Now, if uh, you have more interest in hearing one, what some of those other uh, young men had to say, uh, you can check out Mike Chappell's work online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. And if Mike knows what's good for him and what the people want, he's going to come out with a seven-part series on Zaire Franklin and uh, everything he had to say uh, this week. And what, what one one story, chap, for uh, every round, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh round that Zaire Franklin was taken. He comes away this offseason still with a three-year deal, for, uh, $12 million. Not not a whole lot of players get second contracts in the NFL, and the, the amount of seventh-round picks that get them are or even less. So uh, good to see Zaire. Well, for me, it's good to see Zaire having success. And uh, he, and he's great for us. So we, we love talking to him. And so I'm happy to see him back. Yeah, he's just that good story of a guy that you come in late. And again, seven round, seventh round pick, as he said, 235. You know, he knows the number. And it's like you said, it's rare to get a it's rare to get a second contract from a team. It's even real. It's much, much rarer to get one from the seventh round. This is a guy that what spent his first couple of years just working on special teams and, and being that core player. And now he's, he's just a good player. Is he a great player? No, but he's a very good player and you need very good players. So kudos to him. And it does help the linebacker position. Keep in mind, you Darius Leonard resigned and this is a contact contract year for uh, Okereke. So you've always got to be looking down the road on your linebackers or on positions and that's what they're doing at linebacker. All right, let's get to the AFC South, guys. We've talked enough about the Colts. Well, we've never talked enough about the Colts on the Colts Blue Zone Impossible. podcast. For more Colts, exactly. For more Colts content, you can check us out throughout the week on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Follow us along there. We'll get into the most important stuff here during the podcast, but uh, lots of things coming there throughout the week. You can follow us individually. Mike Chapel is at mchapel fifty one. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe, and I'm at Dave G underscore Sports. Let's talk about the reigning AFC South champions two years in a row, the Tennessee Titans. They gained a good amount. They lost a good amount. And if you look at what they were able to do last year without their best offensive player in Derrick Henry, getting him back is a big addition that's uh, that's not listed here. But I just wanted to throw that out there immediately, uh, that you have to look at the Titans offseason in that light, in the fact that they get their star running back 
their workhorse uh, back in their lineup. But a huge subtraction when they traded away wide receiver A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles on draft day. Um, Julio Jones as a wide receiver is also gone, but uh, he didn't have a huge impact on that team last year. A.J. Brown, Mike, was... You can you could argue that Brown hurt the Colts more than Derrick Henry did uh, during his uh, couple games that that he played against them. So uh, no no fan base happier to see AJ Brown out of Tennessee than ours here with the with the Colts. Yeah, and that came on draft during the draft, and I tell you, when you start looking for teams that are interested or willing to give wide receivers monster contracts and teams that, that aren't, put the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens in the aren't category. They just weren't willing to pay their unquestioned best receiver and one of their best players the $20, $25 million a year. And I saw something where then they they got, was it Trey? Yeah, Trey, Traylon Brooks in early, or their first draft pick. And somebody said, well, he's just a younger A.J. Brown. Well, no, he's not done anything at this level. So it's not like you traded and got younger and got the same talent. So it it just shows you, again, remember, remember Baltimore trades Marquise Brown uh, on draft day. And, and it's just, it's really interesting to see how the pendulum was swung on teams willing to pay running backs big money, McCaffrey and Todd Gurley and all that. And now receivers, that market, they're, they're the second highest paid position behind quarterback. And I want to see how we're talking this time next year when Michael Pittman has had another 1,000-yard season and is Chris Ballard interested in paying him $20, 25000000 million. Some teams are, some teams aren't. Joe, it's, it's really interesting. Chap brings up a great point that this is, this is not like left tackle. Uh, where if you have your guy or edge rusher, like you have your guy and you know you're going to pay him. It's just a matter of how much, every, you know. Every team pays him. Every exactly. Team. Every team will. This situation, wide receiver, is not is not that. There is a definite um, schism in the NFL, in, in general managers, in front offices, in whether this is worth it or not. And I think... Well, we'll get to this one in a little bit, but the amount of teams in the NFL paying Christian Kirk $70 million is probably very few. <laughs> but the but the number of teams that are willing to pay A.J. Brown uh, $100 million is, is, is a lot more. It, it's certainly not 32, obviously, because the Titans wouldn't do it. Like Chap said, Joe, it, the, uh, the Baltimore Ravens seem like they're not willing to pay their receivers big money. So... This is this is a very interesting, I think, uh, kind of back and forth argument on just the value of big name or big money wide receivers, how it works with the cap, where you can put it in certain areas. And as Chap mentioned, Joe, it's going to become an issue for the Colts if uh, if Michael Pittman Jr. continues to improve uh, as he did from year one to year two. It's a it's a supply and demand issue. The supply of wide receivers who are producing coming into the league is much larger than the supply of franchise left tackles or double digit sack defensive ends. It just is. And you look at a lot of the wide receivers who have changed teams this offseason, most of the time they've gone to a team not paying their quarterback big money. Jalen Hurts is still on a rookie contract, whereas in Tennessee Ryan Tannehill's cap hit is over $38 million this year. Um, you look at, obviously, the Chiefs are paying Patrick Mahomes a lot of money. 
Tyreek Hill goes to Miami where uh, Tua is still on a rookie deal. So it kind of depends on where your team is um, and who else they have to pay um, when it comes to paying a big-time wide receiver. And I think Pittman's going into his third season now. So by the time his contract is up, Matt Ryan's contract will also be up. Uh, the decision to pay Michael Pittman Jr. might hinge on if the Colts want to re-up Matt Ryan or go after a rookie quarterback and get somebody on a rookie deal. Uh, I'm sure who else the Colts have to pay will drastically impact Michael Pittman Jr.'s payday um, or chance to come back to the Colts. That, that's a that's a down. This is a down the road issue, so I don't want to get too much into it. But I mean, even even if you get to that point at the end of Pittman's deal and Matt Ryan's deal. Like, do you do you sign Matt Ryan for one more year and let Pittman go? Because do, do you let do you let yourself go of seven or eight years of Michael Pittman Jr. for one more year of Matt Ryan before you move on from him? That would be really that would be really tough to do. That's just my first reaction. Matt Ryan would have to be playing at an MVP level, right? Uh, three yeah. years from now, which I have a hard time see happening. But yeah, you know, I hope they keep Michael. No, Pittman. I think it was a good question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna find that out. That's gonna crystallize. Right. In next year's draft, you know, is that guy there? Will, will they draft a guy in the first round and let him sit a year behind Matt Ryan? If you if you invest a high pick in a quarterback next year, then it makes zero sense to to re-sign Matt Ryan to a third year. It just it just doesn't unless again, like he's playing, like you said, he's playing at an MVP level. So again, this I'm getting off point because I I normally do, but. Things are in place now to go two years with Ryan, bring in the bring in his replacement, then then transition to that guy, and then like you said, that opens it up to re-signing Michael Pittman. These guys are so into drafting your own, you know, nurturing your own, and re-signing your own, and they've done it, you know, six, eight, ten times. The question is going to be: Is are you going to be willing to join? the surge on signing receivers at, at the market price that receivers going to get. And it's only going to be more next year. Well, chap, we were already well down the rabbit hole. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking about the Tennessee Titans and no one here we are talking about the Tennessee Titans. I know, I know. <laughs> well, well, we will, we'll return to them and uh, talk more about uh, the players they lost from last year. Couple guys on the offensive line: Roger Saffold, the former IU Hoosier, signed with Buffalo. Uh, David Quisenberry, the starting right tackle, also signed uh, with Buffalo. Kendall Lamb is a player on the offensive line, played for them. Uh, tight end Anthony Ferkser signed with Atlanta. Um, Dante Foreman, their running back, is gone. Uh, a couple of linebackers and Rashawn Evans and Jalen Brown are, are out of the picture, as is cornerback Janoris Jenkins, uh, who still is a free agent out there. So. You, you, you look up and down what, what's there and what's gone. Um, there's a couple of the, the, the two big areas that took the hit seem to be the offensive line and, and the linebackers. Um, and, and when you have your big running back is kind of going to be the center of your offense, you think again, now that uh, Derrick Henry is healthy, losing a couple guys on the offensive line is something they're going to have to they're going to have to get past. Uh, they're going to have to figure out. Um, and uh, Joe, when you look at these all these changes together for the Titans, um, and you look at some of their veteran additions in wide receiver Robert Woods, tight end Austin Hooper, and a guard in Jamarco Jones, who spent a couple years uh, with Seattle, just had a handful of starts there, only seven. Um, they, they went into this draft with a couple very specific needs, I think. Um, you needed to do something on the offensive line. 
Uh, you definitely needed to replace A.J. Brown. Um, and after that, uh, you could have used some help in certain other areas as well. So when you look at their draft, you've got it right here in front of us. Uh, tell me what you think about the draft, what they were able to accomplish, and uh, just looking at this from, uh, let's see, how many picks did they have? Remember, five, six, seven, eight, nine picks. So they had a really, really uh, deep draft with a couple of pair of threes, pair of fours, pair of sixes in there. Um, they had a lot of players that are now coming and will uh, try to fit in. So, Joe, what do you think about their draft? Whether it's fair or not, their entire draft is going to be judged on how good Traylon Burks is because they shipped away such a good receiver in A.J. Brown. As you know, someone who roots for the Colts, I hope Traylon Burks is a bust, and it looks like a terrible deal for the Tennessee Titans. Um, but Burks is someone who, for a lot of reasons, his pre-draft comparison was A.J. Brown because he's a guy who's a monster uh, after the catch. He's big. He's physical. He, he basically turns into a running back after he catches the ball. He's got a lot of work to do on his route running. Um, so we'll see how much of a year one impact Burks can make. Um, I like their second round pick, Roger McCreary. He's a guy we talked about leading into the draft. Um, he played really well in the SEC, didn't have the best measurables, or else he probably would have been a first round pick. They did address the offensive line around three, Nicholas Petit Freer. Another guy we kind of talked about for the Colts, um, he was taken 69th overall, so less than 10 picks before the Colts took Raymond. Um, and then one of their more interesting picks in the third round there, 86 overall, they took Malik Willis, a guy who most people, a lot of analysts thought was going to go in the first round and um, would be the first quarterback off the board because he has the most exciting tools. He's got a big arm. Um, he's electrifying running the football, but playing at Liberty – um, I guess NFL teams just did not think that he was as developed as they would want a quarterback taken high to be. I believe um, not only was Kenny Pickett taken ahead of him, he went to Pittsburgh, but the Cincinnati quarterback, Desmond Ritter, um, was selected ahead of Willis as well. So Malik Willis sitting in the wings there behind Tannehill, uh, kind of the heir apparent. And I thought it was interesting, the clip of Tannehill saying it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis, they're in a competition, um, which, yeah, I've seen varying uh, reactions to that statement. He said, if he learns from me, great, but it's not my job to mentor him, which a guy in Tannehill who had to fight to get a starting job once again, you know, coming to the Titans, took the starting job away from Mariota. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily in the mindset to say, um, that, you know, he's so comfortable with his job that he can just mentor Malik Willis, especially after his performance against the Bengals where he threw three picks in the playoffs and they lost um, after being the number one seed. So it's an interesting draft for the Titans. They certainly have to hope that it's more successful than their past couple drafts. I remember last year they took the cornerback uh, Farley in the first round. He did virtually nothing for them. He kind of came in with injury concerns as, and was banged up throughout the year. So we'll see if they get anything out of him in round two. Um, but obviously, you know, they took another corner uh, in the second round just for insurance at that position. So we'll see what happens. I thought it was an interesting draft, but I'm not necessarily going, man, the Titans knocked that out of the park. There's a lot of question marks, boomer bust players that they selected. Chap, uh, looking at what the Titans have done this offseason overall, uh, do you think they got better? Do you think they got worse? And why do you think so? Probably a little worse. You know, I'm not saying they, it was it was an awful draft like Joe said. You know, I agree with him. But I, I just, again, to think that they that they 
got better when they got rid of one of their best offensive, their second best offensive player. That's ridiculous. And and can Henry come back and, and have the type of impact he had after the foot injury, the broken foot for a running back? And he's, he's you know he's getting to the, he's getting to the point of a career, and he's twenty eight, like really thirty two, with the way they've used him. It, it's this isn't a guy that's been, you know, put on a pitch count or a, what do they call it in the NBA a load management that they, they ride him. So and the one wild card is is Vrabel, who is a quality quarter uh, coach. He just is. So, but at some point. Talent d- does matter, and people that are dismissing the Titans have to remember they were the number one seed last year. W- with losing your running back, y- y- your best player for about half the season. So I'm not dismissing him, but I I do think the Colts have made enough improvements in in key areas to where th- they just should wrestle the uh, division away from Tennessee. Joe, how about you? What do you think? I think they got worse. I think, you know, A.J. Brown is a big loss. Um, Julio Jones didn't have a huge impact for them, and they did bring in Robert Woods, who's recovering from uh, his own injury. I think it was an ACL tear. Austin Hooper's an upgrade at tight end, but Roger Saffold's a good guard that they lost. They lost a starting right tackle, and now they'll be um, depending on either the rookie tackle they drafted or they drafted Dylan Radence in the second round last year. Um, so they're kind of depending on a couple young guys to step up and be able to start on that offensive line. They're depending on a 28-year-old running back who, you know, 28, who knows where Derrick Henry's cliff is. I, he's an alien. You don't find running backs like him very often. So I'm not going to assume that he's over the hill by any means. But I would say they've gotten a little bit worse from last season. You know, I would probably agree with you guys if I had to pick one better or worse but I don't think they're that much worse. No, I, I really no. don't. And, and like Chap said, they were the number one seed in the AFC last year. So, like, I, I am really, really surprised that, that Vegas has the Colts as the favorite in the AFC South. I just am. Because you lose A.J. Brown, that is a big loss. I am not taking that away from him. But you also draft Traylon Burks and you sign, you, you get Robert Woods in a trade from the Rams. Robert Woods was pretty good for the Rams last year. He was on pace for 85 catches, more than 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns or so, eight touchdowns before he got hurt. Austin Hooper's a good tight end. Matt Ryan sure had a heck of a time with him for a couple years before Hooper went to Cleveland and then just didn't do a whole lot for two years. So he has the talent in there to do something. Um, Where your concern is, I think Chap hit the nail on the head with the offensive line with Saffold and Quisenberry going. Um, do Do you think that you have the the horses in there to to still make some holes for Derrick Henry. I think that's their biggest question right now. Defense, though, boy, I mean, they, they still have Harold Landry. They still have Danico Autry. They still have Bud Dupree. They still have a, a bunch of their – yeah, Sid, they still have Jeffrey Simmons. They have their top, uh, top six tacklers from last year still. Like Rashawn Evans is the first guy who's gone. He was their seventh tackler last year. And then after that, uh, further on down – like I, I, I just have a lot of faith in what um, what Mike Vrabel has done there, uh, more so than any other coaching staff in this division, because he's proven it. He's won. He keeps winning the division two years in a row now. He keeps doing better than people think he's going to do. So, so what, what, do I think that they got a little bit worse? Maybe you can make that argument uh, just because there's some real questions, I think, on the offensive line. And like you guys say, 
Uh, Derrick Henry's going to hit a cliff at some time. I'm still not picking him to hit it this year. Um, so, so when when I look at when I look at the division, I still think the Titans are the favorites um, because because they've won it the past two years. They're getting their best player back in Derrick Henry. Their defense is still going to be fantastic because they have everybody back. So it's going to be tough for the Colts to get past them. It really is, in my opinion. Again, I I I totally believe that Vegas is is the big swing came with with the uh, Matt Ryan trade. It did. They they see that as a massive upgrade. You, I know you don't, Dave, but I think that's what Vegas is is banking on. So we'll see. I just again, it, it's like I went back when Jim Irsay was talking from the owners' meetings that I sat in on, and and he went off on winning the division. I mean he he. He's obsessed with that, and he's obsessed with not being able for this team not being able to beat the Titans. I remember I, it, what's crazy is was it three or four, two, two or three drafts ago in in Nashville. Remember when Reggie made the Colts second round pick, and he taunted the Titan the Titan fans because the Colts had won like nineteen out of twenty two. Well, almost since then it, it, it's flipped, and I, I hear what you're saying, Dave. They're the champs until until you. Until they're not, and the, and the Colts, yeah, the, go ahead. Jacksonville's won this division since the Colts has. That's crazy. Yep. So yep. you know all the things you've done, fine. Win the division and then come talk to us. Yep the uh, the Colts played them really tough in their two games last year. I mean the the, the one in Tennessee, they they lost because they couldn't do anything on offense because Carson Wentz didn't have an ankle to stand on literally, and because Chris Byer, uh, Chris Ballard didn't get a legitimate backup quarterback in the offseason. They lost the game in Lucas Oil Stadium because Carson Wentz threw a bad pass in overtime. He's the one who brought them back to get them tied, but then he threw a bad pass to Kelvin Byard, who's still back, by the way. Another guy who's back for the Tennessee Titans defense, a leader in that defense for sure. And then they were able to to get that win. Also, they lost because, um, what's his name? Um, the the defensive end uh, from Ohio State. Who, Lewis. Uh, yeah, Lewis. That's right, Tyquan Lewis. He gets that turnover, the takeaway, and then he tears his ACL and drops the ball. Tennessee gets it right back. Boom, A.J. Brown 50 yards on the next play. Colts were going to be up 21 to nothing. Instead, it's 14 to 7 in a completely different ball game. So, uh, so I, I, I mean, I, I see certainly the, the counterpoint to my argument that the, that the Titans are, are number one until the Colts can knock them off because the Colts are right there, right there to be able to knock them off. They play them really tough. Um, they have a good, uh, as long as they keep Derrick Henry in check, I should say, uh, they, they have a good, good plan to keep the Titans as a team in check. So now I, I'm certainly looking forward to those games next year. I think they're going to be great games. And if the Col- if the Colts can go two and zero against the Titans, that'd be huge. Absolutely huge. But if they go one and one, I just think that the Titans kind of have that, have that advantage in the division. That's how I feel right now. So. Anyway, let's move on from the Titans. Let's go to the uh, Houston Texans. In the team in the middle of a coaching transition, they let go of David Culley after just one year, hired former Bears coach Lovey Smith. And by the way, their offensive coordinator up there is former Colts OC Pep Hamilton. Um, lost a fair amount, including, Joe, you said as you were making this list, you almost forgot Deshaun Watson because he didn't play for them at all last year. But but he is now gone. He's with the Cleveland Browns. Tyrod Taylor is also gone. So it, it, it's Davis Mills' team, Joe. Uh, are you excited for year two with Davis Mills? Uh, I'll say I don't blame Houston for sticking with Davis Mills based on the quality of quarterbacks in this draft. You know, a, a team needing a quarterback 
wasn't a great year to be drafting high. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Mills showed some promise last year. He looked pretty solid. He did not look like a complete bust or anything like that. So they might have a starting quarterback that they got in, what, like the third round, I believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, and we'll get to that in a bit. They also uh, lost starting guard Lane Taylor, uh, tight end Jordan Atkins, offensive tackle Garen Christian, safety Justin Reed, cornerback Lonnie Johnson, cornerback Terrence Mitchell, defensive end Jacob Martin, running back David Johnson, all guys who were contributors last year uh, to a team that was one of the worst in the NFL. Now, who did they get? Let's see here. Jerry Hughes. Jerry himself, former Colt, has signed him over from Buffalo. A couple other defensive ends, Mario Addison, Rasheem Green, trying to shore up their depth on the outside. Uh, Steven Nelson, at cornerback. Marlon Mack, our boy, going to be in the backfield for the Houston Texans next year. Guard A.J. McCann, fullback Andy Jankovitz. Um, Chap, it, when it comes to the Texans, you still don't know exactly who's their playmakers, uh, who's going to really do any damage on offense. Uh, even if defensively they're improved from last year, it's going to be tough for them to score. I mean, the Colts shut them out once and came close, I believe, to shutting them out uh, twice, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last year. Uh, so this is a team that still has some offensive deficiencies. It certainly has to do with the quarterback, like Joe mentioned. Um, they're, they're in line, uh, before we even get to the draft class, they're in line to be another, uh, another probably high top 10 pick i would say in next year's draft based on the roster that they have right now yeah we haven't got to the question did they get better or worse they got better because you couldn't get worse but (laughs) yeah this this is one they're still in such a infant stage of of of, of franchise building remember they didn't they sign like 25 or 30 free agents last year and none of them none of them them were players who were going to stick there it was almost just we need x number of players to play so I just again we we saw that was such a, a a meek offense last year and you you just have to score and we're gonna see if the quarterback is actually a quarterback or is he is he one of those Gardner Minshews who shows you something and then he's just good enough not to win and that's kind of where they're gonna be they they really didn't like just said they really didn't have a better option at quarterback there just wasn't and I tell you the Colts weren't too far away from being in this situation at quarterback. You know, keep in mind, Matt Ryan fell to him. He just did. Nobody fell to to, to the Texans. So I'm interested to see how they grow this thing. But if I'm a season ticket holder, I mean, you you wonder how long are they supposed to be patient in this building? Because the Deshaun Watson situation, totally different reasons. But when you lose a quarterback like Watson and when you lose a quarterback like Andrew Luck, it's hard to recover from over a short period of time. All right, Joe, nine draft picks for the Houston Texans this year. They had four of them in the first two rounds, um, so they had the chance to get some playmakers, get some people you would expect to come in and start right away. So when you look at their draft class, what do you see? I watched the Texans draft, and I really – wasn't overly impressed. Derek Stingley's kind of represents a boomer bust player. He was amazing in 2019, fell off the last couple of years and has dealt with injuries. If he can play up to his potential, he might be the best corner in the NFL, but that's asking a lot. Then they traded down 
and selected a guard, Trinian Green, uh, 15th overall, which by all... It's exactly what Mike Chappell would do, draft a guard in the first round. And hope you re-sign him for $25 million. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, by all accounts, Kenyon Green is supposed to be a good player, and they need help on the offensive line. But a guard in the first round is not really, in my opinion, moving the needle a ton, even if he's anything close to Quentin Nelson, which good luck with that. Um, I thought they did better on day two. Jalen Petrie is a good safety slash nickel out of Baylor. John Mechie, wide receiver out of Alabama, who probably would have went higher if it wasn't for the injury. A team like Houston, you know, they're they're not rushing anything. They don't need him right away. If he's a good player two, three years down the line, that's great for them. And then they got a couple guys who could become starters in Alabama linebacker Christian Harris and then the running back Damian Pierce out of Florida. He's really a, a pounder who might compliment Marlon Mack very well so I think they had a solid draft and they got a bunch of guys who are going to contribute but in the first round to go boomer bust cornerback number three overall and then a guard at 15 um, you know I'm, I'm not exactly scared of that yeah whatever whenever a team takes a, a pick Joe like like the Stingley pick where I think the the vast majority of of the the, the draft experts out there thought that Stingley was the second or third best cornerback. Whenever you take somebody like that at number three overall, A, it signals that your team has a whole lot of confidence in him, right, if you're the Houston Texans. So I'm not going to take that away from them at all. They have people who are, who are paid to make those decisions too, and people out here like us are paid to just talk about them for the most part. And, and, but, but Stingley, like, I, I, a lot of it hinges on Stingley for sure. You have other guys you think that can be good pieces, but they're hoping that Stingley can really be a star for them in the future, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Sauce Gardner was seen as a much safer pick and maybe just as high of a ceiling. Um, Stingley really had a legendary 2019 season, the season LSU you know, won it all with Joey B and Chase and his practices going one-on-one with Chase and, you know, locked him down at times in practice if Stingley the idea is Stingley is as good a corner as Chase is a wide receiver and if that's true the Texans got a home run but it's not been there the past two years 2020 and 2021 so it's quite the projection for a player that they're taking number three overall um, when there's a guy like Sauce Gardner who has produced year after year and is extremely athletic as well still on the board so you know it's definitely a gamble we'll see if it pays off for him. Joe, chat makes a good point. It's hard for Houston to get much worse, so you you figure maybe they got a a little bit better in their step toward uh, coming back to uh, back to some sort of relevance. And hey, if you look at the AFC South, I mean, for crying out loud, the Houston Texans have won the division four times since the Colts last won in 2014. Of course, they had a young man by the name of uh, Deshaun Watson, a quarterback for, for a good portion of those years. So uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I would think that they probably took a step forward, but, but the big step Joe for, for them and chap also alluded to this is, is whenever they get the quarterback situation uh, locked down. Cause right now you can have hope in Davis mills all you want. And maybe he turns into something that's even more than serviceable, but, but right now he's not there yet. But you still think that as a team that um, that the Texans probably took some step forward, if 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 not sideways, because it would hard to, hard to be much worse than what they showed last year. Yeah, probably they they're relying on a lot of young guys to step up. You're hoping Davis Mills is better in year two. Um, third round receiver Nico Collins, you hope he's better in year two. I mentioned the rookie running back. Uh, Laramie Tunsil was injured much of the year last year. You hope he can stay healthy. He'd make a big difference. Um, a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle if he can stay healthy. 
Um, but it's a lot of projections with young players, which when you're that bad, you'd rather have a bunch of young guys out there than the one-year veterans that they had a bunch of last season. Um, but it's really hard to say for the Texans. I guess they're better, but they're relying on a lot of unknowns. Last team in the division, the Jacksonville Jaguars, going through a coaching transition themselves, fired Urban Meyer midseason, and uh, they hired former Philadelphia Eagles coach, Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson, who uh, signed uh, Press Taylor away from the Colts. He was an offensive assistant uh, here in Indianapolis in 2021. He's now the offensive coordinator over there for the Jaguars. Uh, defensive coordinator is Mike Caldwell. So those are some big changes at the top for Jacksonville. When you get to the roster, a couple players they lost. Miles Jack is now uh, with Pittsburgh. Uh, Damian Wilson, another linebacker, is with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, on the offensive line, their center, Brandon Linder, retired. Guards, Andrew Norrell and A.J. Kahn are gone. Running back, Carlos Hyde, who saw a little bit of action last year from time to time, is also released. He's still a free agent out there. But, Chap, if you look at teams that quote-unquote won free agency, and I use one very much in, in quotations, Joe, I see, is just sh shrugging his shoulders. See, eh. Spent a lot of money. Exactly. If you look at teams that spent the most during free agency, Jacksonville is on the top of those lists. They signed guard Brandon Sheriff from Washington. They got Christian Kirk, who I mentioned earlier, from Arizona. Wide receiver Zay Jones, who had a pretty solid year for the Raiders. A pretty couple, solid, ugh, solid couple years for them. Tight end Evan Ingram from the Giants. Cornerback Darius Williams. Linebacker uh, Foyasade. Oh, I'm not even going to try it. Dang it, Joe. Why do you put somebody like this on the list? Probably because he led the NFL in tackles last year. It's a pretty good reason. Yeah, absolutely. You can just call him Foyer. Yeah. I think that's Foyer. his nickname. Okay, cool. Uh, but but anyway, chap, they 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 got a lot. They got a lot of guys who uh, who who made a lot of money. Uh, but Jacksonville has has uh, not exactly been been a place where veteran veteran additions go to take the next step in their careers over the years. It's going to have to be a kind of a break for the norm if they hope that these uh, veterans uh, play out and uh, work out in the long run. It's kind of where veterans have gone to get paid. Uh, there was a year, it's been five or six years ago, where they, again, bro broke records on signing the Malik Jacksons and people like that. They just paid out the nose for it. And everything they've done, I, I can't get past the Christian Kirk contract. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. Probably a very good player, but holy smokes. But everything they've done, it's going to hinge on the quarterback. I mean, doesn't it always? It's really interesting, interesting to me is, is – did Trevor Lawrence benefit from last year, or was it a lost season? I, I, you know, I've talked to people in the Jacksonville organization, and it was just it, it, it was clown town down there. It really was, with all that was going on. And did, did Lawrence get enough out of playing so much and, and seeing so much, yet not having proper structure to his season? It's got to be a plus. I guess however you it's a plus that he played and did what he did. But, you know, is this like rookie 2.0 season for him? Because there were times until until the last game of the season, he looked lost. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. I know, I know. It, it, but, but he finally looked decent, but that that was fool's gold, I think. So if, if, he, if he can take that step after really having a really – strange rookie season they're they're going to be better i don't think they're contending for the division better but he get he he get the quarterback always 
gives you hope. Joe, when you look at the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars draft, uh, they started it off with a bit of a surprise, a guy that uh, no one thought was going to be the top pick in the draft until about three or four days beforehand when uh, things started to leak out of Jacksonville, that Trayvon Walker was their guy. Uh, They had two first-round picks, two third-round picks, but uh, ultimately only seven picks, a few less than the other teams that we've mentioned so far. When you look at their draft, uh, what does it center on? What did you think about what they were able to get? Yeah, I thought they got good players, but it was really questionable where they took them and what they kind of gave up for them. Let's Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson was right there, and he's seen as like almost a sure thing, not quite at the level of the Bosa brothers, but right below that, and just seen as a safe pick, a guy who's going to come in and get you 8 to 12 sacks every freaking year, and they went with Trayvon Walker, who's seen as... You know, he tested off the charts, amazing athlete, but never had the production that Hutchinson did in college. Some people say that's because Walker was asked to do different things. He was asked to drop into coverage that time, wasn't really in a system where he could just pin his ear back and go get the quarterback and pick up 12 sacks a year. And that's fine, but he's much more of a projection. So kind of like what Houston did with their first pick is they passed on this safer prospect for the guy who they thought maybe had a higher ceiling then they trade back into the first round to take a linebacker um, Devin Lloyd who I think is going to be a good linebacker but linebacker we talk about all the positions that move the needle how many times have we said this year the Colts kind of built their team inside out where they have good linebackers but they didn't have the edge rushers last year they didn't have the positions that when you rank the most important really mattered Um, Then in the third round, they took a center, Luke Fortner, who they need a center. Their center retired. And then they took another linebacker. Um, So they really loaded up at linebackers. They signed, like you said, the linebacker who led the NFL in tackles last year. So they should have a solid linebacker core. But I'm not not too worried about their linebacker core. I'd love to see Buckner going up against a rookie center twice a year. Um, This draft, again, is one where I look at it and I go, unless Walker really explodes and lives up to his potential and is a top five defensive end, I think they really missed on an opportunity to have a much more impactful draft. I think Walker and Lloyd will be good, solid, if not very good players. Um, We'll see about the rest of their picks here. But again, this is not a draft that scares me or moves the needle too much. And looking at their free agency, they signed a bunch of solid players, but not a lot of difference makers. Where are the difference makers on this team? Uh, who knows where they are. Maybe the running back they took last year, ETN, who didn't get to play. They took him in the first round. Maybe he comes back healthily um, and is really able to make a difference in that offense. But I just don't see anyone on this offense that really scares me. Yeah, here's what I'll say about about the Jacksonville offseason. And to your point, Joe, about nobody on the offense particularly scares you. Um, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Um, and, and saying that they got some solid players in free agency and maybe not anyone that was uh, out of this world. But maybe that's, that's just something that Jacksonville needs right now, if I'm going to just kind of play that, that angle to it, that they need solid players. They, they just need to be solid after everything that happened last year and uh, it being just a tumultuous reign under Urban Meyer. They need guys who can come in and they can rely upon. And I think that they overpaid for some of these guys. Do not get me wrong. They paid a lot of money, and especially for Christian Kirk. Like, if you could have Jacksonville being solid, Joe, 
that's better than 50% of their seasons, especially within the past 20 years since the, uh, the old Mark Brunel, uh, Fred Taylor, Jimmy Smith era way back then, Tony Baselli, all that. Like Once all that was gone and Jacksonville became what they were, it's been tumultuous there. So just to get some, some guys in that you can kind of rely upon, that you hope you can rely upon, and then uh, kind of going back to what Chap alluded to earlier about uh, Trevor Lawrence, whether last year was uh, a step forward for him or not, you think it's at least some kind of step forward. But this year you need solid guys around him. You need reliable guys around him to really see if he can take a step forward. And then at the end of this year you have a much better idea about what Trevor Lawrence can do. So, so from that perspective, I think I understand what Jacksonville is doing. Um, I still think they have holes. I'm not saying that they're at the same level right now. I don't think that the, certainly the Titans or even the Colts are for sure. Um, and I think they're a step above the Houston Texans right now. Um, but nevertheless, they finished below the Houston Texans last year. And I think that has to do a lot of the fact with just the, the, the crazy behind the scenes, um, culture that was the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. If you're trying to bring in guys and you want to bring in guys that you can rely upon, you pay them a little bit more than you want to, well, then maybe just a little bit of peace of mind and guys that uh, are more reliable can can kind of put you kind of over over that hump, even though it's a small hump. You know, it's, it's one of those humps that you hope your team never has to go below, but the Jacksonville Jaguars have been below it for a long time, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and you any kind of improvement would be great for Jacksonville, especially when you're trying to, maybe it's early to say this, but kind of save the career of Trevor Lawrence, a guy who first overall pick was seen as the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, um, did not show it last year because of everything going on. So trying to just steady the ship would be a great thing for them. And I, I think they did improve quite a bit, maybe more than any other team except for the Colts this offseason. Uh, I think they've gone from like what they won two games last year. I think they've gone from a two win team to maybe like a five win team, something like that. And if they can keep making those kind of improvements year after year, then they'll be in a solid position. Um, but in terms of any kind of big move that's really going to swing the momentum of this franchise, unless a guy like Trevon Walker really turns out to be who they hope he is, taking him number one overall, I just don't see any addition that's really going to have a major impact. Yeah, Chap, did, did my argument make sense to you that maybe spending a little bit more money than you would like in free agency just to steady the ship is something that the Jacksonville Jaguars short, so, yeah, sorely need? Yeah, I think so. Just again, just to get some stability. And and then when you know what you've got after this season and Trevor Lawrence has got a, a serious season under him, then maybe next year you look to add the pieces around him. That, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that's, that we can transition to close, wrapping this up is that how Ursay is so obsessed with the Tennessee Titans. Until these guys learn how to beat Jacksonville regularly, that's, that's a problem too. And when the schedule comes out tomorrow, I mean, you, what you draw, you, you draw a big red circle around at Jacksonville, whatever that is. Hopefully the NFL won't be so cruel as to make that the season opener. Oh, I hope I, it is. I, 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 doubt I, hope that, it is. I doubt they'll do a division opener, but what, what, what a chance to either, you know, here we go again or exercise demons. So it's crazy how certain teams do not match up with other teams. And, and Jacksonville's one that it's got that, 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 that it's that stumbling block. And until this team learns how to get over it consistently, it, 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 it's like a punchline of a joke in the culture of the punchline. 
I'll tell you, uh, that's a game that I'm sure I'll go to because it's become the Dave game. The, the Dave goes to Jacksonville and, and has a terrible time game, except I do get to go to Wawa, which is nice down in Jacksonville. I, I enjoy my trips to Wawa down there. But the game itself is, has been less than good. It was the opener two years ago, the, the opener of the Phillip Rivers era. And, the only game uh, Jacksonville won that year. Yes, it was the only game they won, and it was against the Indianapolis Colts. So, uh, yeah, and, and the, the crazy thing is they've done this with so many awful quarterbacks over the years. Like Cody Kessler has been part of this streak that is a winning quarterback against the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, come on. So, but but I know Joe. Like when we get to this, actually during the season, you know, and you we get to the Jacksonville week in Jacksonville, and you're giving us uh, our predictions. You say, hey, what what are your predictions? I'm not going to pick the Colts. I'm telling you right now when they're in Jacksonville, I can't do it. I don't care if it's week 17 and they need to win to get in the playoffs. I'm not picking the Colts in Jacksonville because they have proven to me that they are bad in Jacksonville. And ignoring that so many years in the making would be right now. It's just it's it's foolish to, to I don't know. That's that's my opinion on it. You, you got to win down there to, to restore some hope. But uh, but it's it's just been. It's been such a crazy streak and such a crazy thing that a team that has been so bad somehow finds their way against the Colts for for so many years in a row. So, um, it, Andrew, I think. Andrew, yeah, go ahead, chat. Andrew Luck six to nothing. Remember the six to yep. nothing game. I mean, it, it, it makes it makes. And that was that was the one loss in their nine game nine games makes, that they won around it. Makes it. no sense. None. Uh, it's it's just maybe every team has that one team that you think, oh crap, here we go again. And the team's going to hate to hear it. Frank's going to hate to talk about it. Then stop it. Then quit, you know, stumbling badly against that team down there. So it, it's – I just remember when the Colts, again, they were 19-3 and three against the Titans for so long. And, cause they, and it was like the same thing. You just knew they were going to win. Well, now with Jacksonville, you have very little hope they're going to win down there, but – it's a new year, so maybe things change. But I agree with you. It would take an awful lot to have me pick the Colts in Jacksonville. Uh, out of all the teams that uh, improved or got got worse throughout the offseason, is there anyone that sticks out who who improved the most? You guys think the Colts improved more than more than all these other teams? Because, like Chap, I think you would say Matt Ryan was certainly a, a big part of that. But if we look also on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they got a former Defensive Player of the Year. They finally got that edge rusher. Um, you got in your draft a couple of positions that you really thought you needed in those first three picks. So I think it's easy to say that if you just look at that, the Colts probably improved the most out of the offseason, but it's a matter of if they improved enough to catch up with the Titans. Yeah, and we've talked that they checked the boxes, most of the boxes they had to check. Again, you and I disagree on the level of improvement on Ryan over Wentz, and that's fine, but I think it is an improvement. And to, to get a pass rusher like Nagakwe, and I understand this is his fifth team in five years or whatever, and and there's a reason he was available. Well, the reason he was available was Chandler Jones. So, you know, there's always reasons. And, oh, by the way, he's one of three players in the last six years to have at least eight sacks in all six seasons. You know, Aaron Donald and Von Miller. So, you know, he's done something. And then to get Stephon Gilmore, you, I, I'm pretty positive they didn't. They're not getting a 2019 Defensive Player of the Year Gilmore, but he's still a good player. So I, I like what they've done. I'm still nervous about receiver. I'm still nervous about left tackle. 
but I like the moves that Colts have made. All right, so that'll wrap up this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as we drop as the offseason rolls on. We're going to be talking to the rookies later this week. That'll be exciting, so I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty next week uh, as rookie minicamp comes to Indianapolis. And uh, follow us online, as I mentioned earlier, at Colts Blue Zone for no news and notes throughout the week. For Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 